everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today we are talking about taking back your health and taking charge of your health. And who better to help us do that today than Michael Harris, best-selling author, coach, entrepreneur. There's not much he hasn't done. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Thank you, Michelle. It's really wonderful to be here. Um, As I mentioned to you earlier, I've been really diving into your podcast because there's so many great guests and so much really good insight and, and information that everyone's providing. Sure. And I'm super glad that you are a part of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Will you take a moment to introduce yourself and what brought you to this point in your life and your, your current direction, I suppose, since you've done so many different things? Okay. I'll start with where I am today and go back a, a little bit. <laughs> Um, t- today, I'm co-founder of an organization that's called Endless Stages. We really help speakers get their message and their story out to the world. Uh, we have a huge passion for that for a whole number of reasons, which I won't get into it at this moment right now. Perhaps we can mention it a little bit later. I've, I'm a yoga teacher. I've owned several yoga studios. I've helped about 7,000 yoga teachers, or I've trained about 7,000 yoga teachers to become certified. I've done a whole bunch in that world, and I'm going backwards for a particular reason. When I started yoga, I could walk about 10 feet, literally walk about 10 feet on a cane. And yoga, food, and walking are the three things that changed my life. So as as I go backwards, again, we can go deeper into that story at at some point. I became an entrepreneur really as a six-year-old kid picking blackberries. I call it being the blackberry entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur as I was growing up and he taught me how to, how to live that way and how to be self-sufficient within ourselves. And so I had mom make pies and I'd go door to door selling the pies. That was my first entrepreneur venture. An entrepreneur is really kind of a middleman. My dad used to say, find something somebody wants to buy and sell it to them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, it's not your atypical, um, bio. And, you know, I've written a couple of books. I've done lots of different things, like like you had mentioned. Sure, absolutely. That is fantastic. Now, with all those different things, I mean, what is that spark that really drives you forward to be interested in these things and to move forward and who knows what other adventures (laughs) that lay uh, in the future? Well, I'll come back to the end of the stages again for a moment. I believe and it's my experience, my personal experience as well, that getting our stories out helps to heal our trauma, which one of your other guests, Andrea, uh, talks a, a lot about. She was really great about that. I really appreciate what, what she had to say. And that by getting our story out, it helps ignite other people, it's my experience, because they'll hear a story and it will make a change in their life. So I believe right now in the world, we need a lot of healing. There's a lot of individual personal trauma going on, and there's a lot of societal trauma and abuse going on right now. And the more as an individual um, we can take care of ourselves, 
the better the world is going to be. It's like think globally, but act locally. As local as you can get is us, individual person. Mm, I love that. Now, you talk a lot about, and we'll talk today about taking your life back. Now, what exactly do you mean by that? <laughs> That's a great question. It's, it's not a short answer. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I had a massive water skiing accident. And mm -hmm. as a result of the accident, I ended up having 60% of my liver removed, my gallbladder, cracked ribs, collapsed lung, and I had a coma. I went into a coma for about 10 days. I was not expected to live, 21 blood transfusions. Wow. And I had a near-death experience. And when I was coming back from that near-death experience from being with spirit, I did not want to come back to the body. I wanted to stay there. I reached out and, and said, let me stay. And they said, no, you have to go back. You're not done yet. Mm. And, you know, at first, you know, it was just like when I came back, I woke up from that coma that, that I had been in with a smile on my face. However, later on, and when I say later on, with, within a couple of years, 14, 15 years old, I started really feeling upset and angry even at this thing called God that I had come back because I didn't want to come back. And so I really dived. I had a terrible self-esteem, really low self-esteem. I dived into uh, drinking and smoking like your, your other guest, Udo, I smoked hell from about 16 to about 30 before I finally put it down and, and quit. In the meantime, I also, at 27 years old, I had vascular surgery. They're going to cut off my right leg and my left foot. Initially, my right leg was 100% blocked. My left leg was 65% blocked. I was 27 mm -hmm. years old presenting to the doctors with the disease of a 70 or 80 year old peripheral vascular disease, atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries. Mm -hmm. And they did a surgery, they restored my blood flow, and then they wanted to do another surgery eight months later because my legs had been blocked. And these are the professor, assistant professor at OHSU for vascular surgery at the time in, in the 80s. And I told them, no, I wasn't gonna do it. Now at that time, Michelle, I didn't really know anything about anything. I didn't know about yoga. I didn't really know about meditation. I didn't know about all these different things. I did not know about the effects of food on our body, you know, the, the true effects of, of, of food on our body. And so I left the hospital AMA. And for the listeners, that's against medical advice. I, I left AMA. I had my cane and I started walking away from the hospital, not knowing what I was going to do. Now, your question was, how did you take um, or you about taking your, your life back. This was the first step literally physically in taking my life back. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to go, but that intuition that I had inside of me said, don't have another surgery. Well, you know, that's 1987. And today, 35 years later, I'm still here and alive. You know, and they, they said that I would be losing my legs and I'd be losing my life likely within six months when I, oh. when I left the hospital. And I haven't turned back. I actually went back to the doctors once about a year later with their amazement at the time. I had showed up at a what's called Pritikin Longevity Center. It's no longer there. It was in Santa Monica. It was on the beach there, um, sort of by the pier. And I could barely walk. And the doctors in Portland at OHSU had been telling me when walking creates pain, stop walking. 
And when I got down to the Pritikin Center, they said, when you start getting into pain, keep walking. Because mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're, you're building collateral blood vessels. It, the reason that you're experiencing the pain is intermittent collocation, which is essentially lack of blood flow to your calves and to your legs and to your feet. And as I started that process, as I started walking up and down the boardwalk there, I would walk 10 or 12 feet pause, then I'd walk 12 or 14 feet, and then 15 to 20 feet. And I went through this process of this, just this incredible pain in my legs. But within two weeks, I was walking two miles without pain, just by that process. Now, the other thing, and this is one of the first things that attracted me to your podcast and reaching out to you was the the food experience. Part of what the Pritikin Center was doing at the time, they were calling it a vegan diet, but it's a plant-based diet. Um, and so I was walking and I was eating this plant-based diet. So the combination of, of those two directly affected my health and directly affected the health of my arteries and the endothelium um, gland in, in the arteries and my ability to heal myself. So this medical intervention, this additional surgery that was recommended, I discovered a way to take my life back, take my life back into my own hands, literally walk one step at a time. And instead of putting a bunch of fat in my mouth with a fork, I was putting veggies and other things in my mouth. Mm, wow, that is quite the story. So you never did have the surgery to amputate any of your limbs or anything? Nope. nope. Okay. Not, not, not at all. And today, I mean, I hike and I climb wherever I, I wherever and whatever I want. You know, this last weekend, I climbed to the top of a butte and I do that as much as I can once or twice a week. I, I live in a place, I live at 3,700 feet in Central Oregon, and I purposely live here so I can be in the mountains a lot. And get mm -hmm. out in the woods and climb to the ridge top of the ridge line or the buttes or the mountains. Uh, and it's really, you know, I keep coming back to that, you know, taking your life back idea. It feels like I've taken my life back. And one of the things that, that Udo talked about, I have a slightly different way of saying it is, you know, we come to a point to where we're either going to always be taking the recommendations and advice of something outside of us versus intuitively knowing how to handle a situation. And mm -hmm. by the practice of meditation, by the practice of yoga, by the practice of walking, I've learned how to primarily make my decisions internally, intuitively, rather than externally. Now, it's never 100%. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it, that's life, right? But the, the, the more and more those situations, like my surgery, surgery recommendations, et cetera, Again, at the time, I didn't know about meditation. I didn't know about yoga. But in, my intuition was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. So I didn't do it. Mm, okay. So what is that, that process? How do you, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're kind of being intuitive, but you're deciding, almost deciding beforehand with regard to all these different situations or potential situations. Well, this comes a little bit back to story again, the power of story. And maybe it was 20, 25 years ago. I remember where I was. I was in my car driving, but I don't remember exactly what year it was. And I was channel surfing on my radio looking for something to listen to. And I, and I stopped on a religious channel 
I don't normally listen to a lot of religious channels, but something got me to stop. So I stopped and I listened to this minister talking and it was very powerful. And what he was saying, he was talking about the power of story. And he was Mm -hmm. talking about uh, the power of the story of, you know, like Paul and John, et cetera, in the Bible, that they had written their story. And he said, those stories are really good, but the only way to really heal yourself is to write your own story. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then you're coming from you rather than from the outside. And it really, I mean, it, it's still there. That memory is still there of hearing him talk about that power. And so as we unfold, as we go back in and we start writing out our story, we start to release the trauma. We start to release the pain. We start to develop our intuition, all those different things by recognizing who we are, not just who somebody else has written about their experience. So like my story that that I have in my book, it's a story about my experience and the writing of that helped me release a lot of the pain around it. But if more than anything else, if it inspires somebody else to go into their story and to write it out, they don't necessarily have to write a book, but to write out their story and let it go, it's a fabulous, amazing experience that helps us really become who we are, not who somebody else has written about themselves. Does that make sense? Mm, I think so. Now, (laughs) as far as writing your own story, when did your story begin? When did you write your own story? Or has it been across the years of different experiences? Well, the the story of, of the book, The Falling Down, Getting Up, in the 90s, people started suggesting I write a book about what my experience was because, you know, I wasn't expected to live and I died and I'd come back and nearly lose my legs and turning my health around and my life around, uh, putting down cigarettes and and alcohol, getting sober and and all of that, that they felt it was powerful. And I had some resistance to it. I thought, I'm not going to write my story. I can't do that. And eventually I did. And I came to a point in the, it was 2010, early 2011, and I made a decision to write my book in 90 days. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I wrote it in 79 days. And I did it by writing two hours a day. Now that's the raw manuscript. Took me that long. That was pre-editing, but um, 79 days to write the book. Okay. Wow. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) uh, Just kind of deciding, I guess, in that sense, you literally wrote your own story in there. Right. Literally. Yeah. And, and um, I had a process, you know, part of writing a story, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, I didn't go to school to be a writer. I'm not a journalist. What do I know about writing? And I, I came across some ideas. So I wrote down my table of contents and I wrote down the chapter titles and what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to share with within my book. And then I went back and I wrote about each one of those topics. Now, there are some topics that didn't end up in in the final book, and I didn't necessarily go from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. I did chapter one. I did chapter seven. I did chapter three. I did chapter nine. So it moved around. Part of that reason is I didn't know exactly where they were going to be in the book. So some of the chapters also got moved around a little bit once they were written. Sure. Okay. Now, with that, how did that... 
I don't know, I want to say transform. How did that transform you? you? That whole process of writing your story and reliving your experiences, how did that help you overall besides obviously publishing your book, but in terms of your own, your own processes, your own taking charge of your health? Yeah, and it's like, you know, coming back to that idea again of taking your life back is I was living somewhat hidden away in my own prison, so to speak. Prison may be a strong word, but kind of sheltered that I can't tell these stories because they're too personal to me. And once I realized that I didn't really care what other people think of me, I was okay with it. And once I ran into a publisher that ended up publishing my book, and we talked about this particular thing, he says, the more that you can release and the more that you can put out, the more that the readers will connect with what you're saying. So that that helped a, a lot too. Okay. Well, now now with all of that, how does that you know in, in your experiences? You, I mean, you've literally taken your life back with you know your near death experience and, and other things. But is it more? Is there more to taking your life back than just that type of situation? Well, that's a great question. I've, I've never been asked. <laughs> in that particular way. So that's a great <laughs> question, Michelle. And let, let's see if I, I can address it. I may not be able to totally address it. One of the things that happened to me, you know, when I really made the decision to change into uh, no longer smoke or drink or do any of those things, I, I had a moment where it was almost like a swooshing feeling that I want to say. It's like I turned it over. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew what I was doing wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so by letting everything go, I turned it over to the universe. I turned it over to God. And at that moment, it felt like I was getting my life back. I was getting back to Michael, even though Michael was no longer in charge, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I was getting my life back. I was now following what I will call the energy of, of the universe, the energy of life, rather than trying to control and uh, manipulate everything at the time. And as a result of doing that, I could get back to uh, great work that I was doing, great health. I, that's where I started doing yoga, really diving in, into yoga. And that's a whole nother story, Michelle, that perhaps we can take a moment to touch on too. Um, and that, that has that dramatically changed my life. I, in the mid-90s, I was doing option trading and was making a lot of money um, I was doing some investment banking and I was raising capital and I found myself wearing lots of suits and ties and, you know, all the banker suit type thing. But then I would go to yoga and I'd have my <laughs> yoga shorts on. Right. And I, I didn't want to keep wearing the suits and I made enough money that I stopped working for a couple of years and went to a yoga training at the time. It was 11 week training. It's now nine week training, but at the time it was 11 weeks. And I dived in essentially 24-7. And the pain that I was carrying in my life was gone after that training. Actually, within that training, all the pain that I had been carrying had gone mm -hmm. away, wow. taking my life back. Wow, right. I I love it. Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Now you mentioned just. I mean, we'll kind of let's dive in more to the yoga story sure. for sure. But before that, you mentioned. Um, that you were, as you were writing your story, but you were no longer in charge. Yeah. So can you help, understand, help us understand what, what that means? 
Well, I'll go back to my near-death experience as a 12-year-old. You know, when I left my body and I was in the midst of spirit, in the midst of God, I, I always called it spirit at the time. And that was my, I didn't call it God at the time. I called it God later. Um, mm -hmm. But in the midst of spirit. And then when I was going back, I realized that I wasn't totally in charge. Yeah. Right? That something else bigger than me was in charge. Okay. And today, I, I have that experience more than ever. You know, whether it's sitting in meditation, whether it's eating my cereal, whether it's being in the woods and in the mountains, you know, that rock that could come down the top of that butte, I'm not in charge of that rock, <laughs> right? If it wants to come down and hit me, it's going to hit me. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not in charge of that pine tree growing up and, you know, becoming three, four, five hundred years old, growing in the middle of the forest. I could cut it down. I'm not going to. But mm -hmm. it's the energy that causes that tree to grow is the same energy that causes me to grow and to live. And I'm not in charge of either one of them, either one of those. Which in some ways is, I, I found it a relief to know that I wasn't in charge. Mm, okay. Tell us I'm, more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you want to keep going deeper into that? Because <laughs> no, you, 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 were, you were relieved. Some people, you know, say, okay, I want to be in charge. I'm taking charge of my health. But relinquishing that charge seemed to have really helped you to take charge of your health and to take your life back. Absolutely. I still got to do the action. Mm. There's John Asraf, which was in The Secret, he was, he was one of the authors of The Secret, came up with a term called the law of Goya. You know, because mm -hmm. you got the law of attraction, which the, the book The Secret talks a lot about, is the law of attraction. And a lot of people have thrown rocks at that particular book because they think it just says you can sit on your couch and dream up your life and it's going to happen. And that was never the intention of, of the book. So you actually have to take action. You have to go out there and do something. Yes, this power of the universe is there, but you actually have to do something to make it work. It's like you can sit in the car all day long, but until you turn the ignition and start driving, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> True. Right? So the law of Gordia is like turning that ignition. Okay, really, yes, and I can understand now we've got that whole connection between that and moving forward with your life, taking charge, right. and excellent, I love it. Okay, so now let's go back to yoga, because I want to hear the rest of that story and how yoga really influenced your life. When I started doing yoga, I had no idea what it was going to do for, for my life. You know, I, I was at the Pritikin Center in the basement of the Pritikin Center, and I did this yoga class, kind of real gentle stretching. Most of the people that were present at the time couldn't do much anyway, just because of their particular health conditions. But then when I came back, I was living in Portland. That's where I grew up. And I came back to Portland or went back to Portland and started doing yoga in a gym. And then I kept doing more of it. And then I started doing the, the hot yoga, the, the Bikram yoga. And I really fell in love with that because it made my body feel so good. So I already mentioned that when I showed up at the teacher training, you know, the pain that I was experiencing totally went away. But I went to the teacher training not to become a teacher, but to heal my body. 
It's the mm -hmm. only thing I wanted. I ended up being the speaker at our graduation that we did at the Yoga College of India. And then about a week later, I started teaching. And about a year later, I had my first yoga studio. And then I had another yoga studio and I partnered in, in other studios as well. You know, one of the main things, and I want to go from the business side to what yoga is for me. And I still teach. I teach about 10 times a month on the side a couple times a week two, maybe three times a, a week at the most. And this comes back to also what Udo and Andrea were, were talking about as well and about trauma and pain. One of the main things that, that I emphasize, not only in, in my practice, my personal practice, but also within teaching others, is regardless of the sensations that you're feeling as the result of being in, in a particular yoga posture or structure, is allowing the breath to remain as calm and normal as possible, just like we're breathing right now. You know, you might be all twisted up in a particular position. Your hip mm -hmm. might hurt a little bit. Your knee might hurt a little bit. Your shoulder, what, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And becoming aware of those sensations without reacting to those situations, with those mm -hmm. sensations that are coming up. So by allowing ourselves to remain calm, when we have maybe an emotional thought, a mental thought, a physical thought, if all those things are around us, so, so to speak, affecting us as we're maintaining or holding a posture, and if we can breathe normal within that, our mind is calm. And then when we come off the mat and live in, in the rest of the world and somebody cuts us off in traffic, we get an unexpected bill, unexpected health, our car crashes, what, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. That stillness that, that we've developed within our practice allows us to live a calmer life. It allows that intuition to open up. So those things that used to baffle us, you know, we can have that insight within to know what, what, to, what to do. Okay. So again, that's kind of like the primary focus of my practice, my teaching. So when I go in and, and I go into the mat, and sometimes I call it the magic carpet ride. Right? It's like this 24 by... 68 inch mat or you got a towel on top or a carpet or whatever it might be is that's our our place in addition to what i said to also learn to become present as adults we it's easy to live in the past and it's easy to live in the future like this person did something to me i can't believe that happened i don't want that to happen in the future i'm not looking forward to that conversation with that person what whatever it might be so yoga helps us live in the present we're little kids they tend to live in the present and don't think so much about the future the past they're here and now mm. okay so what does this all mean for for people who are just getting started trying to take their life back in in whatever capacity they however they define it what are what are some things that that people can do to, to really start start the ball rolling so to speak well I know it sounds really simple, 20 minute walk every day. Just by getting outside and walking, even wh whether you're in the city or whether you're in the country, it doesn't matter. It's just walking because you're, you're moving your body, you're moving the energy of your body, you're moving your, your blood flow, you're beginning to open up. The motion of walking opens us up physically. So that's one thing that, that somebody can do. Another thing that, that somebody can do, depending upon their situation, if it's a trauma particular situation, 
there's lots of great um, people out there that, that deal with trauma and with pain. You know, Andrea is re really good, your, your other guest. I really appreciate what she had to say. There's an organization in Portland called the PPDA. It's called the Psychophysiological Disorder Association run by Dr. David Clark. And he's by history, he's a gastroenterologist out of Stanford. And as he really got into his practice, and he's nearing retirement now, but he's got into his practice, he recognized that most gastro issues did not need surgical intervention. And he had been doing this. And then he realized that most gastro-type gastro symptoms that were coming out were really more about what was going on in the mind, what was going on with the, with the trauma. And it was manifesting itself in certain ways. So he found that he could work with patients sometimes in as short as 20 or 30 minutes that somebody has had years and decades of being in and out of the hospital, mm -hmm. he could show them how to take their life back, how to step okay. out of that, how to release that trauma that was affecting their physical being. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can, I can go on and on and on. We can talk <laughs> all, all day, Michelle. Well, well, that's okay, because we just kind of want you know, so so that our listeners can really have have a path. You know, starting we've got the walking, you've got the really healing any traumas, things of that yeah. nature. One of the things that, that I would do, especially trauma or pain, I would do a little research, and and I believe people have to get discovered for themselves. But the PPDA, if you're experiencing trauma or pain, is really an outstanding organization, and, and Dr. Clark. He's also associate professor of ethics at, at OHSU. So he, he's um, not, not the woo-woo doctor. Right? <laughs> he's based on science, but the science of what pain and trauma is, like what Andrea talks about. Mm -hmm. And so Andrea is really good. There's somebody called Nicole Sachs, which is really good at helping people dive into and release the pain and the trauma in, in their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in their minds. And most of these people, like Nicole, is, is the result of having her own pain when she was younger and mm -hmm. learning how to re release it as well. Um, so I would invite anybody to check out any of those things that, that I just mentioned and just even Google like the cure for chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And you, you'll come up with, with lots of great non-surgical type opportunities to heal. I'll call it non-surgical opportunities. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever put those words together like that. Yeah. Um, but like most people that have herniated disc, they've done lots of studies on herniated disc and found like out of a hundred people might have 50 people that have a herniated disc, 50 people that don't. The people that don't have a herniated disc have pain. Well, how do they have pain in their back if they don't have a herniated disc? And the people that have herniated disc don't have any pain. So what the <laughs> what the study shows, and there's multiple studies like that, shows that a herniated disc does not cause the pain. But mm -hmm. it's the trauma, it's our mind that creates opportunities in our body to manifest itself in the trauma and into pain. Okay. Right? Wow. Again, I mean, I invite the, you, the, any of the listeners to go back and listen to Andrea's podcast about that because she really explains it so so well. Hey, Andrea. Handsome. Handsome, yes. Right, right. Okay, wow. I, so, I so love part, that. Part, part of the path for any of us, that the listeners, myself, any, anyone, is 
partially a path of self-discovery. So, I mean, I can say, you know, walk, yoga, eat a plant-based diet, release your trauma, and all those things are true, but somebody may find a slightly different path that intuitively helps them experience a better life because it's really, we're either, you know, moving away from pain or trying to move towards pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. So the releasing of, you know, these struggles that that we have in life is really about finding happiness and it's about finding joy. So we also have to do happiness and joy-induced activities. Mm. And walking yeah. is one of the best. It makes us happier, you know, just yeah. by walking. Absolutely. I love it. It's just really straightforward, but it takes that that first step of courage to, yeah. to really implement it. Yes, absolutely. You, you hit it right on the, the head of the nail. Oh, wonderful. Well, Michael, how can people get in contact with you? Well, there's a, a couple of different ways. If somebody wants to download a free copy of my book and with that free copy also comes some some other material if, if they wish there's no charge for it. I simply go to, to Michael Harris or Michael B, excuse me, Michael B Harris.com uh, forward slash book. You have to put the, the book in. You just can't go to Michael B Harris.com. You have to go to Michael B Harris forward slash book and you can opt in and download a free book right away. And then the other thing which we've talked a little bit about stories. Again, I'm really passionate about helping people get their voice and their stories out in the world is EndlessStages.com. So MichaelBHarris.com forward slash book or EndlessStages.com. Okay, fantastic. We'll include those in the show notes. Michael, it's been a pleasure. You, uh, I love your, your journey and how you are sharing that journey and helping people to write their story and to really move forward and taking their life back. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. It's really wonderful to be here. And you've got a really great show with with wonderful uh, guests and yourself helping people bring these stories to the world. So thank you. Hey, everyone. Michelle Seidling here at Food Experience Unplugged. Are you enjoying the Food Experience Unplugged podcast and are ready to ramp it up a level? Then it's time to go premium. With a premium podcast membership, In addition to all the great podcast episodes you know and love, you'll receive additional bonus content and exclusive interviews from many of our podcast guests. You'll receive a live Q&A access each month where I'll address questions pertaining to holistic health and how you can start your journey. You'll also receive weekly shorter video clips with information on tips, tricks, and strategies to get started, to build consistent habits, and to take charge of your health. Go premium today. I'll see you there.